Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. Today I have another special guest back on the podcast, my friend X. Um, we are going to talk about, um, we're going to talk a lot about the refrigerator mom theory, and we're going to talk a little bit about X's experiences with um, sexism and ableism. And also, uh, I just, this episode is dedicated to uh, Sarah Gund, X's uh, grandmother, and my, the wife of my grand-uncle, Jeff Gund. Um, she passed away recently, uh, unfortunately, very suddenly, and, um, you know, we, I had actually seen her, uh, myself, we had talked in January of this year at the family reunion from, uh, the Gun family, um, and, um, you know, we talked a little bit, it was the first time I talked to her about, like, my neurodiversity, um, work and everything, and, um, she mentioned, you know, how, well, the first thing she mentioned is having neurodivergent grandchildren, um, yeah, yeah, not and, that she was neurodivergent, but she had neurodivergent, yeah, <laughs> and then also that she, she's worked a lot with, um, with disabled kids and students in the past, um, particularly, she also had wicked dyslexia, and she had dyslexia, yes, Yes. She taught a lot of mm -hmm. adult women with dyslexia who'd managed to get through university by mm -hmm. like auditorily learning things and yeah. getting other people to type things out for them, mm -hmm. how to read, which I think is incredible. And yeah. is a, yeah, yeah, the amount of women that she's taught mm -hmm. as adults who've come to her and said, I can't read. And she's helped them without any judgment, without anything, I think is a wonderful yeah. and valuable gift she's given to the mm -hmm. world. Yeah, agreed for sure, and and so I wanted to make sure to to make this dedication to her, and uh, yeah, I mean it's it's interesting because I hadn't really talked to her that much before this. The, I feel like I really talked this last reunion was the the one that I probably talked to her the most, and particularly about neurodiversity, which I was just starting to to talk about, you know, to advocate for and everything. Um, and I used to think of her, you know, because she was like always like, she wanted everyone to be dressed. She said something like even this year, uh, oh, remember, like she said to, I think it was Owen or someone, like one of my cousins or one of my dad's cousins, she said, um, be ready, uh, the photos at 530, make sure you're, you're dressed or no, no flip flops or something like that. And, um, I remember, like, kind of, like, laughing about that, I don't know, kind of thinking I would comment, like, oh, yeah, she's, she's pretty old school, but, you know, like, never meaning it like it was a bad thing, it was just, like, No, yeah. she, um, yeah, well, what, just, we talked about this in an earlier episode, she definitely had ADHD, mm -hmm. um, and... One which what she didn't know how to do is socially sort of organize things because that's what she was taught to do and that was a very old school mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, um, that was her role in life, mm -hmm. and she came from that generation. And for better or for worse, she was though a very enterprising and um, sometimes very supportive woman. Mm -hmm. 
to the people that she cared about. She did have that sort of old patriarchal streak in her. And it was interesting mm-hmm. to see her fight that. And yeah. I think despite that, she was always trying to trying very hard to do the right thing, which yeah. is what matters. So. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, um, I always felt that, you know, I always felt that she was very kind and she was very kind to me. And especially this last, this last conversation that we had this last time we met. Um, so yeah, I, I wanted to make that dedication very briefly. Now, uh, X and I are going to get in, I'm going to let X start out by explaining a little bit about the refrigerator mum theory. Um, and then after that, we're going to talk about that. And then I'm going to ask some questions, um, about her experience as, uh, as a cis woman, um, being a neurodivergent cis woman. Anyways, I'd like to make it also very clear I'm not a mother, so I'm not going to be commenting on mother's mm-hmm. experiences. Just the academic research that say that um, says things that are not true and have been mm-hmm. historically proven not true. Not actual comments about motherhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, so there was this idea of what was termed the refrigerator mother first by a guy named Leo Kanner in 1943. Um, he came up 10 years after um, Hans Asperger published his kind of article mm-hmm. on Asperger's and mm-hmm. a lot of the difference between Asperger's and um, the, the man and Leo Kanner was that Asperger's was saw people who he termed Asperger's or now we know as, as autistic mm-hmm. um, as people who were very kind of gifted and some of them can be. Mm-hmm. Right, but that doesn't necessarily is something you've debunked on your mm-hmm. podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason Asperger focused on that is because he wanted to choose members of the public that would be helpful to what was considered the Nazi kind of the Nazi idea of what life was going to be. So that was in, in its own form of kind of eugenics. So that's yeah. also why we don't use the term Asperger's anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and a lot of people um, still use it, but it's just because they don't know. I think they don't know. And it's, yeah. it's, but one of the reasons that it's so common is that Kanner, who 10 years later and was actually um, someone who dealt with the Nazi regime um, studied a lot. He was already starting to do things in the 1930s, as uh, late 1940s, as someone in psychiatric, psychiatric, you know, children developmental field. And he focused a lot on the people and the couples that were coming to him, who were usually very well written, very well spoken. Um, lots of the mothers had other careers, which was very uncommon at the time. And he facetiously decided that um, these parents who could have also been autistic themselves as they were um, were not being affectionate enough with their children they were pursuing academics and careers too much mm-hmm. um, he said in his in, in his writing he, he talked about fathers as well but it was mostly focused on women I mean it opened the door to at the time it was going on kind of in cultural theory this idea that um, mothers were causing all sorts of developmental disorders based on their behavior towards their children. Wow. Which now, is, we, yeah. So, like, we know that, you know, the way people treat their children can cause trauma. That's mm-hmm. a separate thing. Mm-hmm. This was specifically that uh, mothers not doing certain things, not hugging their children 
enough or um, having interests that were considered too high-minded, classical music, science, etc., mostly women. Um, if the child, if, if their motherhood impeded their career um, kind of aspect, then they would take it out on the kid inadvertently. Mm. They would be cold. They would try to get the kid, they would tell the kid about their career rather than things that people think mothers should say to their child. And so Kanner's idea was um, the children will then parrot what their parent wants them to, um, what their parents' interests are, so that they can get attention. Mm. Interesting. Which is was not true. Yeah. Um, there's trauma. That's a, again a whole different issue. But what he was experiencing, and what we now know in retrospect, is that he was looking at autistic parents with autistic children who were communicating in very specific ways. Mm-hmm. And for the few women that he did speak to who had uh, college degrees in higher education, which, again, was very, very uncommon, um, he was going with the notion that it was the fact that these women were so well-educated that they were no longer able to be, um, you know, mothers, (laughs) which connects to a lot of anti-feminist theory of the time. Um, It's unfortunate. And that kind of went out of favor a few years didn't become a huge thing until another guy, um, I think his name is yeah, Bittelhelm, he brought it back to popular culture and he was published in Vogue and the New York Times and the New Yorker. There were titles um, that he, you know, he wrote articles about how mothers were the issue and causing all these social problems. Um, it was books like, sorry, I'm just going to find this because they're too good not to share in their specificity. Mm-hmm. Um so article, articles in Growing Up Female, Why Working Mothers Feel Guilty. Uh, in the New York Times Magazine, Children Must Learn to Fear. <laughs> Life, why Does Man Become a, ha- become a Hater? Um, he wrote a book called Empty Fortress, which was about his mom basically, like not his mom, but mothers generally creating this environment for their child where it was this empty sense of home. Mm. Um, and that book specifically was financed by the Ford Foundation, and there's a lot that mm. can go into that. But <laughs> so that's where the term refrigerator mother came from, and it coincided with a lot of uh, women's rights movements at the time. And the idea was that all these things are distracting mothers from giving their children the appropriate time and attention they need, or that them not spending enough time in the home or having other interests other than their children or homemaking caused autism and what both Asperger's and Kenner believed was that uh, although in different terms was that it was a sickness and it was an infliction and it was a disorder Asperger's thought it was more of a genetic thing which he you know he was right about genetics not so much about it being an illness um <laughs> it's interesting that they would like that Asperger were, would would acknowledge that it's genetics but then he's playing this whole idea but then Tanner comes in afterwards and he kind of took that and he ran with it in the psychological um, kind of environment of the time, which yeah. was very in child development and, you know, the child schizophrenia. Autism was considered to be a form of psychopathy in, 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 in um, children. It was really horrific. And part of it was to bolster his own career. Mm. Um, wow. So there was a point at which, um, especially I think it was in the 19th, 50s, 60s, where child psychologists and psychiatrists were basically in a position where they were 
knew more about someone's child than their own parents did. So they could take, depending on the situation, they could take away a child from their mother for the good oh, of the wow. child. It was very rare cases, but they could do that. Oh, if they thought the kid was autistic. Um, so, yeah, and it's, and all of this came into, you know, women aren't doing enough trying to move away from conversations surrounding women's rights and, you know, roles outside of the household that women can have and trying to shame them essentially back into being mothers in a certain way. Yeah, it does, this whole thing, like, it does feel very sexist because it does feel like it's may it's like the there's only one rule like that the woman has to stay home and that the man is out and that there's no there's none of this kind of pressure on the father it seems well both of them did mention that fathers would have something to do with it but it in, in popular culture that didn't come across as much so even though if you go back through their fallacious articles you see they do mention the father mm -hmm. and how that could also be right but um the sorry, um, in a lot of pop culture articles and things, you know, being targeted towards women, um, those sorts of things were not printed because <laughs> mm. it didn't make money. It didn't sell to women, and somehow a lot of people were making money off the fact one women are now better educated, so they are going to read these things, and then they were shaming them for them, which was not great. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, Have you heard about any of this before, or? Um, I mean, about Asperger. I had heard about the the refrigerator mum theory, just like, in not as in, in as much detail. Um, I, I not not as much about the history of it, but just just the idea of it. Um, generalized, like more from, more in the contemporary, uh. Because I had read, like, a couple articles that, you know... Well, I had read an article that was actually criticizing an article that had, you know, was basically propagating this theory of, um, you know, mothers being responsible, essentially, for their kids. Not only, like, pathologizing autism, but then blaming mothers for it. But then it was uh, helpful to have this history, like, know more about the history behind it as well. Um, yeah, if anyone yeah. wants a better history, and we'll put this in the comments mm -hmm. and the links below. Yeah. There, again, I've, I've probably mentioned this on this podcast before, but Steve Silberman wrote a book called Neurotribes ages ago, and it's still one of um, the best and, I think, uh, considered pieces of writing on the history, like, the cloudy history of what we now understand as autism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the factors around the individuals who really derailed <laughs> all the science and the uh, research that could have put us on the right path a long time ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the next, uh, well, first of all, thank you for um, you know digging into digging into it and giving giving everyone more insight on the, on the history behind. Um, Sure. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, and then I, I so next moving on now I wanted to ask you a little bit about your experience 
as a neurodivergent cis woman and perhaps like some of the intersectionality of sexism and ableism that you've experienced um yeah just more of a kind of a summary of of the female experience since i i don't talk as much about the female from you know i talk about like my perspective from the male experience so yeah um i think if anyone hasn't listened to episodes with me before and i've said it quite often i have adhd i'm not on the spectrum my brother is i've learned a lot from him um so i can only talk about my experience as a as a queer cis woman with adhd uh, i find that from a young age and i grew up in a family that it, it were very good at empowering me to speak out and speak up. And I think sometimes they regret it because I do it way too much. Not the actual, but just the amount I do at home when it's unnecessary. (laughs) Mm. Um, Is the expectation to um, absorb specifically male misbehavior in situations, whether it be inadvertent, for example, Someone makes a joke that doesn't isn't particularly great or helpful, even if it's not a bad joke. Mm-hmm. You know, um, someone saying they like their wife because she has a certain body type, which is not, you know, or they say, oh, she looks like a 50s pinup model, which mm. by the way is a compliment, right? But it's not something, you say that to someone, and even if it's in close company, it's a bit strange. And if you yeah. call someone out and say, okay, well, why do you feel the need to tell us this? Mm-hmm. It is then becomes, say, if I say this, my my fault for making the conversation awkward and bringing it up, rather than going the cost-benefit analysis socially of, well, if I hurt this man's feelings or perceive to hurt this man's feelings by bringing up the fact kindly that that might have been inappropriate and actually quite rude, um, then it's my fault. Mm-hmm. And I've had, I've experienced that quite a bit throughout my life because being neurodivergent means I don't accept those rules as readily. Mm-hmm. Although I can also do the exact opposite when needed. I can be very good at it, but it's absolutely a mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then I'm labeled as difficult or, you know, it just makes your life, it'll make your life so much easier if you do this. And I'm like, yeah, it's not really the life I want to lead. And to be very clear, there are times just for my own safety or because I don't have enough energy or I won't speak to this person again, although I wish I didn't have to do this, I will just sort of stay silent or do nothing or just quickly change the subject because it's not worth my time. Mm. Even the amount of energy that takes to kind of sit with your feeling and even if, even if it was politely saying that was rude, you can't do that because you know that no one in that group is going to be receptive to it mm-hmm. and it'll unfortunately ruin the mood of the entire mm-hmm. evening <laughs> it's your fault and those kinds of expectations you know that you are absorbing other people's mistakes um you're absorbing what especially if you're with a man you're absorbing anything that could be perceived as criticism or something that could embarrass them you are meant to diffuse anything that could embarrass a man. That's the, essentially, I think I'm kind of being a bit general about it, but it is what it is. That was men, women's role. So it's, um, it seems like it, it could be perhaps seen as like another mask on top of the neurodivergent mask. 
like yeah, on, but, yeah. Sorry, you were saying. No, like I guess on top of like I mean it kind of together maybe, but like I guess another layer of the mask. Um, and part of what's confusing about that is that they're so intertwined. I don't I don't know if it is helpful for some people to think of it as kind of a patriarchy and ableist thing because they are intertwined. <laughs> mm -hmm, they are very intertwined. Yeah. I think for some people, it might be helpful for them to try and figure out what's this and what's that. For me, I found it just frustrates me mm -hmm. because if I try to kind of untangle how the two are interconnected, sometimes it's great. Most of the time, it's just me spending more energy figuring out other people's issues, and that's not great. Like, mm -hmm. so There's a fine line. I think it's an individual thing to figure out how much of it you want to mm -hmm. dissect because that in and of itself is also something that comes from being in that situation is feeling the need to constantly figure out what went wrong or be in control of the situation because yeah. you can't afford socially not to be mm -hmm. what um, kind yeah. of so like as when yeah. i'll be still at parties and i i hate that i do this but i you know usually means that i didn't leave uh, when i needed to mm. is i'll get over like excited or i'll get overstimulated and i'll just have trouble focusing on one person and people like you seem manic Mm. And I not to around people I'm comfortable with. It happens less often, and um, but I, I, you know, it's good for me to understand that means that I need to leave. <laughs> yeah, because there's nothing wrong with me. It's just I'm too excited about everything, and it's too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna have an emotional hangover the next day. I don't need that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, but. What's difficult about it is I've also been in situations with other neurodivergent people, and we're all like that, and we might all have the emotional hangover the next day, but very few of us in that situation feel the shame that we do when we're around people who are neurotypical, who then tell us off afterwards, or people who are, don't understand our form of neurodivergency. Um, they'll call it selfish or um, inattentive, unthinking, and it's those kinds of things where especially as a woman, if you're a guy and you have ADHD, right? Mm -hmm. Those things are, I mean, it's not okay for you to do those things, but saying you're talking to, you're talking too much. Mm. You're speaking over everyone else in the room. Um, you know, you, you, you talk about your opinions a lot. You relate everything back to yourself or you relate it back to a subject you're interested in to explain someone else's point. You know, if you're, if you're a neuro, neurotypical man, these are things that should be not great. <laughs> These are things people should look out for. If you're a neurodivergent person, that's how you relate. There's a fine line between being um, overbearing and just being yourself. And I think women specifically, if they're neurodivergent, it can be very difficult to figure out how much of that is patriarchy and how much of that is actually helpful for me as a neurodivergent person. Mm. Like how much of this is actually... Um, input that I can take in and go, okay, so maybe there's something to that experience versus that's, and it almost always is both. Oh, that's also a patriarchal view of the way I'm supposed to be in social situations. Yeah. And it's I, up to you to figure that out. And again, it's mentally exhausting. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I can imagine it's, um, cause like you said, they are very intertwined. So, yeah, because I feel like I've seen, like, I'm sure, like, even neurotypical women 
are, you know, subject to patriarchy and, um, you know, being... Not subjected to patriarchy. Like yeah, I mean, is. yeah, exactly. In different ways, but yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and then, and, but to see, like, because then, I, so I feel like basically neurotypical women are already masking to a certain extent, as neurotypical men are in different ways because of the patriarchy. Um, but then, like, neurodivergent women would have different layer, I guess another layer of it all. And I don't know if I would even, if it would be considered a layer, but I guess it's... I think layer is an okay word. I think layer is a good word, probably. Yeah. There's there's an extra something. We can say layer. I don't think mm -hmm. there's a proper term for that. We're talking about terms for experience, which I think terms for that are being constantly developed. Um, and and women of color who are neurodivergent, that's a whole nother layer, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's true. Um, so it, the more, this goes back to a lot of conversations we've had on this podcast, which is, uh, the more of a minority or the more you're in a place of, of the less power you have in a society, specifically a patriarchal white society, the more layers, the more masking, the more code switching, the more everything you have to do. Mm -hmm. uh, which is horrible because even the people in power who think they're in power are subjugating themselves to similar things just to a lesser extent. So if you're neurodivergent anyway, most of the time you figure this out quite early and you get told off for it from a very young age. Mm -hmm. You know, you asking, yeah. like, do you have experiences when you're a kid asking, like, why is this this and why is this that? And they're like, yeah. just stop asking. It's just how it is. Yeah, exactly. The, the answers <laughs> would be very curt or very vague and it was like there wasn't, much explanation or like i because i would always like want to know different scenarios even if it were yeah. unlikely even if they were relatively unlikely scenarios i would want to know i would be like but what happens if this what if this happens and what if that happens and but and the response would always be something like it won't happen or it, it just it was always a lot of times it was this wall of like it won't happen but i'm like yeah well we don't know from your perspective like you, it felt like they thought you were attacking them it just felt like yeah it felt like i was asking too much um or like they i mean there's just so many things like with neurotypical society my but, question in, in that scenario is do you think there would be a better like would you find that easier if there was a kinder way of them telling you this is not helpful to me now yeah, I think so, because I think it would help me understand um, better and just be like, oh, okay, like now I really see the full picture because that's a lot of times what I struggle with is some is neurotypicals will like say something in one sentence or something and it's not really addressing the full picture, but it's supposed to be implied. Um, and to this day, it still happens and I'm like, but... But, and I just get more confused because I'm like, but this makes no sense to me. And then it's like, if it gets broken down or even sometimes my th what happens nowadays sometimes is I will go talk to my therapist about it. Like I had this interaction with this person 
they said this, it doesn't make any sense, I don't understand, and then she'll be like, oh, well, that seems like a neurotypical disconnect because they're probably trying to say this, which is kind of a hidden meeting, and I'm a meeting, and I'm like, oh, I see. And then I found that kind of thing with, like, um, um, with, like, styles of parenting as well, like, my dad and my mom were very different, um, my dad was, and I think this does have to, have to do with the fact that my dad is neurodivergent and my mom is, I think, not. Um, I mean, maybe, but not certainly not autistic or ADHD. Um, and my dad is ADHD. Uh, and so my dad was very, like, he wouldn't just be like, you have to do this because I'm telling you to do this where my mom would do that and I would get frustrated because my mom wouldn't tell me why and she would say it was just because she was my mom or because of hierarchy and authority and I'm telling you and you have to because I'm your mom and that would just... So she probably might have been right. Let's give her that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> just because it would make, particularly with, with PDA, um, pathological demand avoidance, I would... It would be really, I don't, like, and the whole concept of hierarchy and everything, um, it was really hard for me to to understand, and it felt like I was just, she was being, like, over-authoritarian um, at the time. Have you ever thought about that, like, your relationship with the patriarchy? I'm not saying that your whole mm -hmm. thing with your mom was, because I'm not in that, but do you have situations like that where you notice yourself saying no to things like, do you notice when things are more patriarchy-based versus neurodivergent-based? Does that, Or is that even an experience for you? Because you could have just completely gone, I am not doing that at all, not doing patriarchy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the neurodivergent person, mm -hmm. you can't kind of do that. I mean, it seeps into every bit of, you know, people's lives because that's what it is. But I think we have it less. So if that's mm -hmm. an unfair question, that's fine. <laughs> um, I think... I think it's... um. The neuro, I mean, I probably didn't really understand when I was younger, like, the whole, like, what was a neurotypical thing and what was a patriarchal thing, but... And most people yeah. don't, so you're, you're ahead of most of them, well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like, um, I mean, I would kind of notice patriarchy, like, I would kind of notice... I would feel confused, like, things like, oh, why... Why is this like in TVs and movie show movies and TV shows? Um, like, why is it always like the the guy is like out there working and and doing the big stuff, and the mom is always portrayed as like the being at home caring for the kids and just being this softer person and everything. I started noticing these things. Um, there was another thing I noticed. Oh yeah, that it was. Like, if you were a guy, like, if you were a, a guy and you were hanging out with a, a girl, like, a friend, you had a friend that was a girl, that you would, you would, there would automatically be this assumption, like, a lot of times, I think on both ends, there would be this thing, like, oh, are they dating? Like, just... just Maybe there's still that, and that's, it's only because, unfortunately, it's like this goes back to it as a neurotypical woman. I can give you a mm -hmm. uh, neurodivergent woman, sorry. 
not a neurotypical. I can't believe I said that. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> we love you, neurotypicals. I'm sorry. Um, is and um, I people thought I was clueless in my life to people's advances. I wasn't. I just refused to see them as advances because I was like, why would you do that? You know, people going, oh, you'll let him on. I'm like, no, I was just nice to this person mm-hmm. or I was interested in this person. And what's so bad about that is that, you know, for a lot of men and even young boys, the only reason that you find interest in someone is because you want something from them. Mm-hmm. And so you get that rhetoric quite often and you see it starting around middle school and things where like, oh, this girl used him so she could get her first kiss. Because mm. that's the only way they can frame that behavior is she was being nice and he kissed her without her consent. Therefore, she must have wanted it too, because that's the only way to relate to another human being. I Which is bizarre. Right? Yeah. Um, I've met a lot of people um, who would kind of like me when I was a kid, and then they would realize, oh, she's not, like, she's being nice because she's actually being nice. I can't actually do anything here. And then they'd, you know, fuck off, which was, in retrospect, a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think but it, yeah. It's, um... It was that kind of, like, I don't, you know, someone would still buy me a drink at a bar, and I'm not, you know, I have a wedding ring on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even if I didn't, I, and oftentimes, like earlier in my life, I didn't. You know, I just was, I, you know, just didn't say anything. I was like, thanks for the drink, and I just keep going. Um, and there are a few times where when I left, like, aren't you going to like do anything? I'm like, no, thanks for the drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, I can, I can see that. Um, people say oh, oh that's using something like, absolutely not you wanted to buy me a drink that was very nice of you i said i could buy myself one you said no you wanted to so i said yes yeah because they they think that they're entitled like if they buy you a drink it means that you know you have to like go and on again, a date explaining that to them goes back to mm-hmm. my previous point which is that then i'm expected to i, I just didn't and I would leave. And usually the time they would, you know, I was in bars that were, I knew people who worked there, so it was never a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but in a lot of other situations with women, they're in places where they don't have, like, a safeguard around them. Yeah. And they feel the need to explain this person's misbehavior to them. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. Yeah. that is reflecting and thinking that they shouldn't have to do for someone else. Yeah, exactly. That is yeah. a lot of labor to be doing for someone who will dismiss it offhand most often. If you're a minority and you have to do all of this, then that's all your time is about to a certain extent. And even in in, in psychology, that's even that they even have a term. It's called people pleasing or whatever, which is also terrible Mm. Mm -hmm. because it makes it seem like you want people to like you. And you know, it's not necessarily that you've just learned that, it is an unhelpful thing, and it's something that you shouldn't really need to be liked all the yeah. time. But if you're a woman or you're a minority, you have to be liked. So you want to try and understand yeah. whether it's for that reason or just because you want to. And so if you come up to someone and you say, oh, my life is different, the difference between someone in power seeing that and someone who doesn't have power is we're trying to understand. And oftentimes, the person in power sees us existing as an attack. Because they feel it questions their existence. And for a lot of 
in a lot of instances, some for some reason, their response is violence, which is the one like skip I don't get. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a black person, a queer person, or a divergent person, whatever. Us trying to understand other people, for the most part, is that makes no sense. I might hide in my room for the next three years. <laughs> Whereas you have, like, you know, all over the news, these instances of I don't feel understood, I will shoot people. Mm. This person has a queer flag in front of the shop, I will shoot them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The idea that someone's even questioning that the way they're treated is unfair or is disproportional to how they should be treated or the fact that they're just being mistreated. Um, there's a historical precedent for violence, but the fact that that's that, that base level of it's fear projected yeah. as domination and it's horrific. And that's what mm-hmm. I find interesting between the difference of, you know, neurotypical minority, et cetera. Uh-huh. And that it's, it's, I, I, even I don't really, I understand the, the step they probably take, but I have no idea how they like emotionally go from, I feel misheard misunderstood i'm kind of angry about that too i will hurt kill make sure that person has no way of living etc the neurotypical person feeling misunderstood i see since you get a lot of men you know just Mm -hmm. for from the men versus women perspective um you know you walk down the street in a certain thing right Mm -hmm. she was asking for it (laughs) people hate it when we repeat that Mm -hmm. but it's true um, you know, she's a black woman, she's angry, so she has to, you know, just because she's expressing herself, I mean, she's angry. Exactly, she's a black yeah. woman who's expressing herself because she has, you know, she has a better support system around her than you, white man, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's the sort of, unfortunately, like the whole term, going back to the whole refrigerator mother thing, you get this kind of anger at that term and the expectation that, understandably, women are to blame for a certain neurodivergent trait or form of neurodivergency, mm-hmm. which there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no. Yeah. But they take out their anger in ways that conform to the sort of patriarchal standard and they become things like autism speaks mm. where a lot of mothers on there are being told it is your fault. Uh, you did this to your son. They're not being given any kind of tools or skills to try and communicate in whatever way with their kids. Mm-hmm. They feel shamed by society. And so they buy into this whole, my child ruined my life. It must be an illness. Because mm. they're yeah. looking for an answer and they have a right to be upset by what's happening to them, not because their kid's autistic, mm-hmm. but because the society makes them feel shame for not knowing how to deal with a kid when they have very few resources mm-hmm. available to them. And the only kind of recourse they have is, in that situation, a lot of them, if you look at the message boards, I don't suggest you do, by the way, it's quite sad. Um, But a lot of the messages are, you know, my, you know, after my my husband divorced me after our kid because he felt like I was spending too much time trying to help our kid with whatever, and now my kid ruined my life. Oh, I had to quit my job. A lot of those things also have to do with the fact that women are meant to take responsibility for most of the childcare. So the patriarchy and kind of autism phobia is interlinked in that way, and that's what Autism Speaks, which is not a which is not a um, not an organization that we recommend ever. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, we condemn it yes. um, <laughs> wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, they prey on that. They prey on that sense of guilt and shame and fear, and they return that kind of understandable anger from women and frustration. They give them an answer, which is 
yeah, it's an illness. It should be cured. It's not your fault. Mm. And it's the redirection of one, where that perception comes from. And then the capitalization upon that fear and anger, which is so concerning. And it's something that, you know, that's where that, that term came from. And that's why that term was coined at that time, because a lot of children's psychiatrists, and psychologists wanted the money to do other research projects. Mm-hmm. It got them published. Terms like that got them published. And it's really horrific to see how those things intertwine. Yeah. Yeah, I see. Yeah, that. Um, I can see that now. Um on a a larger scale like all the how it um came to be this this whole thing um a lot of moving parts <laughs> yeah a lot of moving parts um oh yeah so gosh i think about 20 minutes ago or something <laughs> i ended up sidetracking myself i went down a different path um but i was we were talking about like how it can be helpful to have things uh, explained or, or broken down, like, or know the reason why, right? Like, so, like, for me, particularly with the PDA profile of autism, um, it's really hard, like, if I'm, if there's a demand or a rule, it's like, I need to understand the reason behind it. Or it'll be really my, hard to follow it. Um, even if you understand the reason behind mm-hmm. it, if you don't agree with it, do you think it's right or wrong? Um, the me not agreeing with it or the rule itself? The rule itself. So if you kind of understand where they come from, but it doesn't, still doesn't make sense to you, do you discount it? I guess it depends. <laughs> um, if I really don't agree with it, then as much as possible, if I can discount it without, you know... Um, without con- like serious consequences and if it's if it's just like a social thing that i think doesn't make any sense whatsoever and it just it's silly then i will completely discount it but but if it's like a situation where i could get banned from a group or i could like you know have hurt to someone's hurt someone's feelings or i mean i would usually not the hurting someone's feelings is something that i i if I know, if I know that even if I feel like it's gonna hurt someone's feelings, I won't because of the rejection sensitive sensitive dysphoria, um, and the way for me it's like, not just like it's because I think it's all correlated, but like the fact that I'm so sensitive to rejection means that it's not just like, if I'm on the receiving end, but like anything that I say to someone because I maybe a little bit of that trauma of feeling rejection or uh feeling um feeling hurt or whatever i worry that they're gonna feel hurt so then i don't say it um it's not necessarily a bad thing in the right situation yeah um but i think just like silly kind of social rules and stuff like you know but it really depends on on the situation and what it is um but it's like it's really helpful if you know when it's when I understand and it actually does make some sense to me, um, then I'm like, oh, okay, then I can do this. And that was the difference with my mom and my dad. And I think it was more of a neurodivergent, not so much a a ma- male female difference, but like a neurodivergent neurotypical difference. Um, 
Whereas my dad unites everybody, to be honest. Like the neurotypicals, mm-hmm. the neurodivergence, anyone is that. Um, if you don't understand something, I mean, the reactions can vary. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's going to feel because patriarchy expects you to kind of know everything all the time, mm-hmm. which is you just have different reactions to it. Yeah. Um, everyone's going to feel a bit weird if they don't understand something. I mean, some yeah. people do. I actually mm-hmm. get quite excited. Um, things I get to learn something. Um, but a lot of people perceive that, especially white straight men who are neurotypical um, or, or not, as a threat to what they are supposed to be. Mm. They don't do what you did, which is think about mm-hmm. how it works. Yeah. Because there uh-huh. can't be, that can't be possible because then they are, speaking of black and white thinking, in neurotypicals, a failure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. I think, yeah, for me it was like, because like with my dad, he would, what I liked, I mean, what the difference was for me was I just like, I think maybe like as an autism thing, I needed, like it was, I can't, like, it's hard for me to follow a rule or to follow a request if I don't if it's being framed, like, if it's just being framed as I need you to do this, or I know you should do this, um, then it just feels very demanding, if it were from him or from her. Um, But if it's, like, but if, like, the way he would usually, I think because our brains work similarly, he would be, like, uh, oh, you know, it would be really helpful for me if you did this. Um, I would really appreciate it if you did this. Um, and then it was just like, not only was it not, it didn't feel, you're helping somebody, but I'm helping. It's like, it's not just like, oh, they're not being super demanding, but they're like, it's this thing like, oh, okay. Like, like they're legitimately very kindly asking for help. Um, and it's just more like, oh, this will really help with this. And, um, and I think it was really just different communication styles. Um, I think... about that. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, you were saying. No, I just think, like, with my mom, she had a different kind of communication style. And I think it maybe also... I don't know. Like, it, it was probably influenced by other factors. Maybe it's not entirely a neurotypical neurodivergent thing. But I would notice that... Um, and maybe it has to do with, like, her histories and her upbringing, too. But... Um, like, she was a lot more just, like, she wouldn't really, it was a different style. Instead of, like, oh, you know, I would really appreciate, could you please, like, do this or do that? I would really appreciate it. It would really help out. It was more it's like, oh, you... That, I mean, it's less time. Efficiency-wise, it makes mm-hmm. sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it was just this very demanding, and I feel like, and I mean, I see this, like, um, with other people that have very more, like, authoritarian personality styles, um, that she just kind of had more of that style of communication. And to me, it was kind of a, it would be a clash sometimes. I mean, I think we never, like, we usually got along pretty well. Um, but I remember... I mean, it's just not even just in terms of, like, comparing my dad and my mom, but, like, 
comparing like I just tend like when people ask me to do things it's it's always nicer when it's made when it's made when it's said in a way and I think this is more like pathological demanded avoidance when it's said in a way that's not demanding that it's not like you're making me do this like you just want me like I want you to do this for me and it's like because you want me to do it because you want me yeah instead of I would it would be really helpful for you if I did it well I think so it's interesting you brought that up mm-hmm. because um going back to the way that Ayla's women and the way we're affected by these thoughts is I'm not saying this is your situation at mm-hmm. all But there's an interesting link between that and a conversation my friend and I had. We were reading, um, this tweet went viral like a year ago. And it was this woman who wrote, how just, I, someone asked me this and I've started to write it down and it's really scary to me. How often when you suggest something, even if it's like changing toothpaste, trying moisturizer, maybe closing the blinds, how often do you hear from a man without them even thinking, no. And yeah. the results are really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not exactly what you're doing, but they also seem to have this, like, I shouldn't be told what to do thing. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if the toothpaste is cheaper or even um, very commonly, this is a lot of women who date or are in relationships with men can under, will probably understand this. So it's like something that will better eat each person's life. Super simple task. Change the toothpaste. It's cheaper. It's more eco-friendly. It has charcoal in it. It will get rid of stains, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Two dollars, two pounds less. Almost always, that first reaction would be like, "No." Mm. I see. I yeah. Know. I think particularly, probably especially neurotypical men. Um, I think. I think this is where I think even in neurodivergent men, this is where the patriarchy comes in, mm-hmm. right? There's so if I knew someone who was neurodivergent and still reacted that way as a guy, you know, my thought process then as a neurodivergent woman would be then to go, maybe it's the change. Maybe the change is scary, right? It's yeah. the, then the me thinking, why is this not working versus mm-hmm. the amount of time that then later I find out they did not put into it. Right. Mm. I just said, no, cause I didn't want to mm-hmm. say, it. I just didn't want to think about it. Yeah. You know, it's small things like that. And it's, you know, even neurodivergents are, you know, have our own issues. Like <laughs> no, yeah. very famously, so, that, but that doesn't mean we're exempt from that mm-hmm. kind of thinking. Mm. Yeah, because yeah. talking about like, especially men who are autistic, stuff like that. About well, that's just how they are, and to an extent, yes. But also to another extent, how much of that, and how much you know, yeah. language, and how much kind of thought do they have about how much that intersects with a system they've been taught they should look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Um, and I've been seeing, like, there is this thing that happens um, where I actually saw someone, another autistic advocate that I follow, that was breaking down um, it's kind of this pro. There was a problematic part with an episode of Atypical, which I, I already had mixed feelings about. I've had mixed feelings about that show. 
from the beginning. When I think we're the long character is really sad. I don't like it. It's too dramatic. Yeah. I, I stopped watching it. And it's just like, I mean, apparently they consulted with Autism Speaks, and that doesn't surprise me. They that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, More they, reasons not to watch they it. Didn't, um, they didn't <laughs> uh, cast an autistic actor, so the, they didn't cast an autistic writer or con- at least no. a consultant. You know, they go and hire, like, basically a hate group. Um, and... So, yeah, let's, let's not watch that show. Yeah, and so, I, you know, I didn't know, like, I had already, like, watched it years ago, but I hadn't, I didn't, like, understand all the things I understand now, and then I rewatched it to do a review. Um, oh. it was helpful for the review, but it was frustrating for other reasons, but I saw this other person, um, breaking it down from the perspective that I hadn't even thought about, but... Of, like, using, like, Sam's behavior always being justified by his autism and how that can be harmful um, to other autistic... Not only can it, like, perpetuate stigmas and stereotypes, but... Well, it really it can, because in this particular situation, um, it was when this scene where he's, like, grabbing... So there's this... Like, they're at a sports game watching his sister's game or something, and there's this girl in front of him and he gets like overstimulated something he gets overstimulated or something because he grabbed her pigtails or he, something yes like that. he keeps yeah. grabbing well, see, her that's not okay i don't care yeah. about mm-hmm. it's not and then they're all like there's this whole and then it's just like oh sam sam oh oh my god and it's just all because it's like <laughs> they're basically but trying to mentalizing the difference is between instead of informing someone who could understand okay so here's you want yeah. to do that listen mm-hmm. everyone likes pulling things we get it Mm-hmm. Maybe stem toy. Um, you could explain to that person this is why instead of infantilizing them and going, well, he didn't understand. Exactly that I hated that, and this person was pointing out exactly that. And it's like not only is it infantilizing, but like it's kind of it's justifying sexism by just saying that oh he's autistic, and then it's infantilizing because it's like oh he's autistic and. And he can't. Well, that's the boy. That's how boys oh, act. This, I mean, that's exactly, yeah, exactly. The, the, the way yeah. they treat men. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, and oh, he's the boy. He doesn't know what he's yeah. doing. Or girls age faster than boys. Why don't like, so girls understand things faster? Than as if boys he couldn't be the world. He couldn't. Why? As if he couldn't just be taught and informed. And it's like maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's just he's being completely babied, and it's like no, this person is is actually capable of being talked to and actually understanding like there's and in that scenario they would have you know that was a wrong thing to do they might have Mm -hmm. not known that the intention might have been good they still hurt somebody they stepped on someone's foot you don't Mm -hmm. need to step on someone's foot you still hurt the foot you still say sorry yeah right Mm -hmm. even if you didn't mean to step on the foot Mm -hmm. yeah exactly (laughs) you know yeah I think people treated, like, crossing other people's boundaries like that or hurting somebody who didn't intend, like, you just did it. Like, you can explain why you stepped on that person's foot. But they mm-hmm. might be in a rush. They might just want to hear you say sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Whereas I think a lot of men, the way they're treated is, is in specifically in, in um, reference to the episode you just described, is they'll be told, oh, you can't do that because you have to cushion their ego. They have to be told. Mm-hmm. You can do anything, but also, like, you know, you didn't know better because you were a boy. Mm. Or for mothers, um, mm. you know, especially the mothers who, like refrigerator moms who had boys and were told, oh, boys are easy. Mm. Why can't you do this? That was also part of the radicals mm. is, is girls were more difficult to raise. 
and that comes from the fact that little girls are trained from a young age through toys, through media, through everything to become little servants, essentially. Mm-hmm. I see. <laughs> so yeah. they said, so boys should be fine. And these refrigerator mothers were like, boys should be easy. Why isn't this boy easy? Mm. Yeah, I see. Because uh, there's autistic women and non-binary people, but at mm-hmm. that time they didn't really think about that. So yeah. it, that's why we're using the term boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that came into it too. And that, and you also see that, I guess, in the episode you described, is it's the boys not even being given a chance to figure shit out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, it's just like, oh, no, he's just... It's because, oh, he's a boy, he's autistic. It's like, no, but, the like, he can actually, like, learn these things. And, and then... Just... <laughs> yeah. Um, Which is... Then can do this. It's not that difficult. Yeah. You also don't have to be autistic to have this explained to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, and um, anyways, I was thinking there's another. I'm kind of like backtracking again because I it happened again. You know where? I oh no, like, I, I I am a terrible influence. <laughs> but thank you so much. No, it's okay. <laughs> I I because I get the start. I do this a lot. Like when I'm just telling stories to any to anybody, and it's like. A lot of people, they, um, I don't know, there was this one time that it, I was actually, you know, someone was interviewing me about, they were basically doing this project, one of my actor friends, and they were interviewing people about grief. And um, so, you know, they had said, oh, it can be any kind of grief. Um and I was like, okay, and I'm going to talk about... Very, very, that is a dangerous thing to say to someone with ADHD. That is so, so dangerous. I know. And so I kind of, it made me frustrated later. And I understand that, you know, they... This is a very broad topic. As a neurotypical person, I think they just didn't understand what they were opening the door for. Oh, no. Um, oh, no. <laughs> but, you know, I was like, okay, any kind of grief. It doesn't have to be a person. I was like... And I even told them before the interview, I was like, I'm going to talk about late diagnosis grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, that went in the direction none of us were expecting. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm like, and then she even, she said, oh, that sounds good or whatever. I'm like, okay, great. And, um, but I think, you know, they just didn't understand. Like, they didn't know what they were getting into. But anyways, I... Um, I we went I went and I started talking about it but I was telling it in an ADHD style where I'm I'm going down this this path and then mm-hmm. I see something I'm talking about something and I want to explain more about that particular thing and that leads to another path that will given time lead back yes, to the original it, path and it was but gonna, from a different perspective or like yeah exactly I was going off track a little bit but I was going to come back and the thing in a very, is, in a very, in a way that no one else would seem like, unless you were me or someone yeah. else ADHD would understand. Like they, they didn't get it. They didn't understand that I was gonna come back. And then they were like, kind of very nicely, but it still made me annoyed because it was like I didn't. They made me basically change the whole thing and talk about something else. Eventually, they no, they were like, oh, um, no, that's very interesting. Like I'd love to hear more about that, but I wanted to talk more about the grief and I was like I was getting there um but so then it was like oh if it's okay with you like we could just oh and then tell me about like oh what was the 
of someone in your family that has died. And I'm like, oh, my grandpa. And then I was like, oh, tell me about your grandpa. What was it? But then what did you feel? And I was like kind of explaining like, anyway, for, I had to start talking about my grandpa, which I had completely not planned to talk about. And so, to be fair, I think like you are right to your way of thinking. Also, they were. If it's meant to be a short interview, it's something that we nerd I have to work on. Also, mm-hmm. if it's going to be a short test period of time, we do have to think of right. They want like the Reader's Digest yeah. version of what mm-hmm. they think it is. Yeah, and then it's just like that's what gets frustrating sometimes because it's like not. I think some people they just don't. I mean, because we're all like conditioned to to like think in these certain ways or that things have to be in a certain way they're not um they're not really open or understanding of different ways that 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 people can communicate and tell a story and i remember it got frustrating not only because and of course i knew like i wasn't mad like it wasn't yeah, anything just, personal. I don't understand why. I was just like, working. oh, it was frustrating because I was like, I was going, I was like, I really had prepared on on this whole thing, and I was eventually gonna get back to my point, and then I had to completely like change subject and talk about something. Not only talk about something that I wasn't prepared, um, but um i had to basically it seems like that i wasn't giving them the answers that they were hoping for um or that like because i you know i'm just kind of going this is also like an adhd style i'm just like okay what's coming into my head i'm gonna talk about these things about these memories um and then like they they kept asking me to talk more oh but how did it feel but the feeling and i'm like their job as an interviewer as frustrating as that was i do have mm-hmm. to say that was their yeah. job as the interviewer yeah as annoying I mean, as it might have been to you they were just, doing their job i'm feeling what i'm saying i'm like i can't yeah. it, it it made me it was, it was really hard to really um like it didn't feel very free because it was like and it just didn't feel like i could get into a groove because I'm so i think you what you're describing and in, in, in a much more considerate way I like to point mm-hmm. out, like, this is something that unites anyone, in, like, neurodiverse, neurotypical. Mm-hmm. You're not this way at all. And by saying this, I'm not comparing you to, you to men who mm-hmm. are straight, white, you know, neurotypical yeah, men. Mm-hmm. But I do think what you're describing is that, again, we feel the same frustration when, say, I will mm-hmm. ask a man something and they won't know and they'll get really upset about it, right? Mm-hmm. And then we ask them, they feel like I'm digging in. The difference is you don't yell at her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was like, not like it's not like it's mm-hmm. like everyone's experiencing mm-hmm. a similar issue. We were presented with a situation that we didn't feel prepared for, or that for whatever reason, having to do with our histories or whatever, we feel like we're being blocked off from doing this, and it's mm-hmm. all context specific. Yeah. But more often than not, the difference between say you mm-hmm. and the situation I had with the guy in the bar is that. I don't feel threatened by you. Yeah. I, mean, I understand you're frustrated mm-hmm. and that's completely mm-hmm. okay. And she, cause I didn't voice it either. Like I could have yeah. said, I could have probably even nicely more like, cause she did even ask me, Oh, is it okay if we go this other direction? And I think it was a little bit of that, like internalized, like as you were talking about earlier, like how some of us, a lot of people get conditioned to like, not to like feel uncomfortable saying no. 
Like, I yeah, feel like that, I'm... That's something now you can work on. It's not her yeah. fault, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But now you can take that experience and grow yeah. from it. Rather than go, oh, she was a terrible person. Mm-hmm. I never want to speak to her again. Which is yeah. the other version of the Because I recognize that it became a thing for me with, like, my insecurity saying no. And I could have very... Ni- I could have still said it nicely. I could have been like, actually, you know... I was really hoping that we could stay on this topic and I'll, I'll try to come back to it. Um, so I probably could have said it somewhere like that. But it was that kind of thing that kicked in where I feel like... And that's the reason why I say... And I know like neurodivergent men can be like this too, but I think it's... I think it's less likely. It's less likely because we do have kind of that... I mean, of course, not as much as neurodivergent women, but we have that thing where um, it, we're not comfortable because we've been conditioned to not feel comfortable saying no. Um, yes. And, and I mean, so that's, yeah. again, you have twofold that as in my experience. Um, and I've been, where I've, I've been in experience where I've interviewed men and I've asked them questions and because they're trying to avoid the question or because they know they're wrong, even if I don't tell mm-hmm. them that, if I ask them to explain something and they catch themselves, the reaction isn't to then do what you did later mm-hmm. on now, right? Yeah. Is to then go, well, in retrospect, this mm-hmm. is what happened. Here's what I thought. Here's I can improve this. This is where this is what I could have done in this situation. I will try and do this better next time. Instead, it was, how dare you ask me that question? You're insane. Mm-hmm. You're not a good journalist. How dare you do this? Throws my questions across the room. I was like... I think we're done now. And he goes, How, I'll, we're done when I say we're done. And I was like, well, I, I, I don't feel comfortable doing this with mm. you right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was frightening. It was, you know, there was, there was people there, but it was frightening. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. But there's plenty of situations, like he could have done what you mm-hmm. did, which is the emotionally responsible and kind of mm-hmm. healthy thing an adult person should do. Yeah. If you're a kid, you don't have those skills. Mm-hmm. Someone will give them to you, mm-hmm. hopefully, at some yeah. point. You're an adult man. <laughs> Yeah, I think... You don't feel comfortable. You need to think mm-hmm. about how you dealt this with this situation. Um, I, I just... Uh, I think that's what's, what's interesting is, like, I'm slowly becoming more confident, like, in saying no myself, but then also, like, I've never liked saying things. I mean, I still, like, if I'm overstimulated or whatever, I will occasionally. Not, not, not just nerd. We're just more likely to be overstimulated yeah. and say yes to shit um, that we shouldn't. Or, <laughs> or even, like, get frustrated and, like, if I'm really overstimulated, maybe I'll snap at someone. But it's it's rare. Like, I try, especially if it's not, like, fam, like family or close friends. Um, like, I wouldn't... I, I know unless I were very, like... Unless I had... It would be very unlikely. Like, I would have to have a lot of other stuff in my head to snap at her. And I... I it's not a it's not but, a conscious choice. Yeah. Whereas I had to learn mm-hmm. very... I, I was maybe a teenager when I finally figured out, oh, some people actually just do this because they choose to be mean to people. Mm, yeah. You no, know, that was something that I had... I younger than a teenager, but that, yeah. that was mind-blowing mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Yeah. And because, I was like, oh, that explains why people... Mm-hmm don't like don't understand when i say sorry when i've inadvertently said something rude or something came out the wrong yeah. way or they lecture me about it later exactly exactly they don't see that they think it they think we they think were it's doing a it inadvertently. <laughs> yeah anyways yeah it's um 
so I knew like I I really didn't want and I think maybe this is like a reject a mix of like rejection sensitivity dysphoria like the the RSD didn't want okay I, I like I absolutely I never want to like I don't want to even come across as harsh so like that was off the tape. So that was like people, unfortunately, that's the thing. Like you mm -hmm. have to be okay with that. Yeah, sometimes you have to be okay with that, and I think like that that's person, if you don't understand it and you've explained it to them, it's it's really hard because you know your rejection just since you're just for in your brain, it's it's painful. It's actually painful. Yeah, but, mm -hmm. you know, trying to control their reaction to you is also unfortunately manipulative. And yeah. this is mm -hmm. again goes back to that whole like men going women are manipulative, and sometimes they're not wrong, mm -hmm. but it's because we are not given enough occasionally power, and that's what we feel we have to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not help either. I think exactly like that's what I was thinking. Also with my mom, none of this is good. <laughs> yeah, it's like I understand, like especially now, thinking back, like of course, as a child, I was just like, why is she making? Why is she saying that I have to do this because I have to? But now I understand, like everything, like oh, what was going on for her? Like she probably didn't like too much else going on. She just needed that one thing done. Yeah, that was it. And <laughs> and most most times in her life, I think she didn't, uh, like me, you know, like didn't feel like it was okay to say no or to be more like assertive with things, like even just being assertive. So then, you know, she was like with her child and at this point it was, a, um, she felt like she could be um, and not in a bad way. But just because there was more, and because I, I feel myself doing that as an advocate, like I was very, you know, I can be by many, like sometimes by this friend of my dad's, um, I I feel like they're portraying me as an angry advocate, um, but it's because, and I'm not trying to be angry in the same way that my mom wasn't trying to like just control you she was control. trying she, she needed yeah to do something she was being very yeah. clear about and, it that's and all I, it was exactly and and so that's with me like i feel like i just need to educate people on this stuff sometimes i just need to speak out about it and it can come across perhaps as angry or aggressive but it's oh, I all, get that all the time. <laughs> and it's that's the struggle because it's like you're passionate about something i'm passionate you know? about it and i have also like in the same way that my mom hadn't really been in that position probably where she felt comfortable like oh okay I can voice this like I wasn't really comfortable up until now like as I can come across you know I can say this in a way that may be interpreted this way but then it's always hard when you have that kind of reaction from people being very defensive because then it's like gosh I'm finally like feeling confident being people more don't like and people don't like it and it's just like well, that's so this is i think like because we could talk about this for ages um but i think to to summarize that is something i've tried to do as i've gotten older is uh well point one is that the people who benefited from you not having power or you know you've being in a place of subservience are absolutely going to be upset when those privileges that they had to you are revoked because you no longer give them to them Mm -hmm. You have to expect some kind of like, yeah. I think also, you know, sometimes it takes people to, if they were in their own situation, doesn't mean you have to cut them off. There's some people you absolutely do. 
Uh, some people takes them a while to process where they were at the time where this was happening. We'll come back around to you. Um, so point two is if the person should be in your life at that time, they will understand or they will come mm-hmm. back and understand. Yeah. If they don't um, and you've tried, like this is someone who's close to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's a stranger, not really your problem. No, if it's a stranger, um, screw it. <laughs> as long as your intentions are good, it's mm-hmm. not really a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you're willing to hear other people's perspectives. If you think you're well-intentioned and you're actually a cult leader, that's slightly different. Um, <laughs> You know, um, yeah. you know, those people will come back. They should, mm-hmm. they will be in your life. And unfortunately that's a very painful process. Uh, two is to, although I really want to at all times, just kind of fight against every single bit of society and of ableism and patriarchy that keeps me in certain positions in my life. And I should be able to, or, I, you know, knowing that I should be able to is not always helpful in, in the sense that it won't always get me to where I want to go. Mm. And maybe one day that will change. Yeah, that I hope. In the skills I have, I don't have to, there's a difference between working with the system, which I don't like. You have to work mm. with the system if you want to change it. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you just have to point out the system's bad. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of, you know, so and, and a concrete example of this as a neurodivergent woman Mm -hmm. to go back to our subject is Mm -hmm. if I, um, well, here's an actual situation. I was in a bar talking to my friend. I don't know if I told this on this podcast, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, and I was building furniture in this, in the new flat, which I am in now with Mm -hmm. my partner. We have lots of Ikea furniture, lots of little dowels and Phillips head screwdrivers and, you know, flathead screwdrivers, all the different kinds of, you know, and I had, I'd learned the names for these things. Um, there was a construction site opposite this bar at the time. And it, one of the guys comes in after work and he sits down next to the bartender who I knew. Um, and they had a bit of a rapport. Mm. He joined our conversation. And uh, I was talking about, I just couldn't find this proper thing. And that like, I was missing something. And I was about to say I'm missing. And he goes, oh, you mean a screwy screwdriver? Screwy screwdriver. He means a Phillips head. He means the mm. one with the little crosses. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so this is a perfect example. As a woman, I have three options. Ignore him. Yeah. Um, which would make me feel really terrible about myself because I'd just be great. Mm-hmm. Like I could mm-hmm. let it go, but like why should yeah. I have to do this? Uh, that would, you know, so it's not helpful to me. Two, I could curse him out, which seems like an unhelpful way to do that for both of us. Mm, yeah. And it's just proposed. Yeah. Right? Or I could do what I trying to do more often trying to be catty when I do this I act confused when people don't give me the respect I think I deserve mm-hmm. mm. so I asked him he goes Philip and I said do you not know what a Phillips head screwdriver is and he looked mm-hmm. at me like he's like of course I know what a Phillips screwdriver is I'm like okay did you think I didn't know what a Phillips head screwdriver was mm-hmm. and he was like no like, so why did you call it a screwy mm. screwdriver? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows what a Phillips said. I'm like, it's okay. That's fine. Yeah. I'm just confused. It seems like a really inefficient use of words if you're going to describe the thing that you know mm-hmm. the name of. Yeah. No, I and think I, it, and, yeah. And people would call that bitchy or catty. And mm-hmm. maybe it is. And I don't care. Because it's, it's just me giving, because it could be that he forgot the name and I misinterpreted it and it would give him a chance to go, actually, I forgot the name. I'm so sorry that came up the wrong way. Right. Be. But sometimes people just say things by mistake. 
It's true. But in that moment, he instead reconfirmed to me that I never want to speak to this man again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It does, I mean, it does kind of feel like it could have very, I mean, especially like the way he said no, like he didn't want well, he was just like, no, like he was just, I think because sometimes you're not aware of your own biases, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there are situations where I've done stuff like that and they go, oh, that was wrong. Or someone has done that to me and go, oh, that was shit of me. I'm sorry. You're completely right. That was a weird thing to say, which is fine. But it gives people an opportunity. And when they double down on the first thing, mm -hmm. you go, hmm, good to mm -hmm. know. I also yeah. feel like I'm not letting you get away with this behavior yeah. without escalating it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that concrete example is what is helpful to anyone who feels like they're being kind of ridiculed or like someone has power over them is if you treat people, even if they don't like it, like you, not in a rude way, mm -hmm. but just like with genuine curiosity and, and confusion about, I think I should be treated like this, yeah. like with respect mm -hmm. to me. And I understand you might not understand what I'm saying, but there's better ways of putting this. If they don't then go, you know what? That might not make, make sense to you. Or if they're, maybe they're emotionally not in a place to do that, they'll come back later and do that. If they don't respond appropriately to that, it tells you a lot about that person without yeah. you having to emotionally engage with them. Exactly, yeah. It's that kind of thinking as neurodivergent women that like it, it's, I spent so, mo so much of my life thinking about this. <laughs> mm -hmm. I had to come up with a solution that I hope people enjoy because it is excellent and it is life-changing. <laughs> yeah, no, I think so too, yeah. You'll be surprised how many people don't know that they're being rude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm <laughs> sorry, do, do you mind repeating that? And they'll go, oh no, I don't want to repeat that. That shit, I'm so sorry. Or, yeah, or, or they'll like... go, or they'll go, no, I don't want to. And I'm like, was it because you mm -hmm. shouldn't have said it in the first place? If it wasn't a problem, you can say it out loud again. Mm -hmm. Or when they or like, yeah. Considered really bitchy. <laughs> well, because like it's happened, like, or they'll say something really like quietly because they know it's wrong. Like I, and then again, they're putting you in the position where you have to be the one to disrupt the conversation. And you have, if you're in a place that you feel you can do that, you don't have to call people out on it. Cause I think mm -hmm. a lot of people think you have to, sometimes you just have to ask them to repeat themselves. Maybe yeah. dig their own hole if that's what they're doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. have to act with, you know, with confusion and curiosity as to why this thing, which is not appropriate is happening. Yeah. But sometimes it is just confusion, and sometimes it's someone being an absolute prick. Yeah. And... <laughs> it can become your fault. They don't <laughs> so. realize... Sometimes, like, yeah, I don't know, it's... Yeah. Because I've just had... I don't know, like, because I think sometimes, like, they think, I don't know, like, someone will make, like... Something that could be seen as a racist joke or something, and they'll, like they'll kind of, like, say it to you kind of quietly, because, like, and then it's really awkward for me, because it's, like, they're thinking that I'm gonna, like, laugh with them or play along with it or oh, something. it's not funny. Like, it's this is not funny. about jokes like that. If people yeah. think that being mm -hmm. bigoted or being rude is what constitutes funny, then you just tell them it's not funny. And if they ask you, well, or say you don't have a sense of humor, like, no. You just don't have a sense of taste. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the... Like, why didn't you... If you thought it was funny, you could have said it louder, but you didn't. Yeah, exactly. You're that like, tries to be my crazy. problem. I, yeah. I did not consent to you making this my problem. Mm -hmm. So I'd explain it to everyone else yeah. or just apologize, please. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah. And if they don't like them, you don't need them in your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in yeah. Your life. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd like to be clear to everyone listening, please don't just start cutting people out of your lives. <laughs> I'm sure that it's very tempting and some of you may need to, but that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. Yeah. It's, I hope, I think I'm, yeah. Um, yeah. Just, I just disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For sure. You see how that could be interpreted that yeah, way. I, yeah. Um, it's hard. Like, I've noticed uh, stuff can get misinterpreted. Like, I think... Hey, it, it, I mean, that happens. Yeah, it's... Frustrating. I hate it, but it happens. I, I get, like... I catch myself getting more nervous, and I know I shouldn't, but it's, like, as the... Well, you talk not to. You know, there's no shouldn't when it comes to, like, yeah. having a... You would like not to. I would like not to. Yeah. Um, and Shit is like a rule. We don't like yeah, that. we don't like that. Yeah, you know, it's. Um, I mean, I'm made to feel like I shouldn't a lot. Uh, you know, just by society, I think, or I've been made to feel. So then, it's also something that I've internalized that I, like, have to remind myself that it's like I can. It's fine. It's not a bad thing. It's not like wrong, but it's something that I've definitely been noticing that it's been happening. Um, Whereas, you know, like with more people listening to the podcast and everything. And because I got this in this message like a couple weeks ago, it was my first like negative message. And basically, mm-hmm. it was... We don't really want to reiterate what they said because it yeah. gives them attention. But yeah, well, how it did it make attention. you feel? <laughs> it was, um, it was kind of like discouraging and... Yeah, it was really discouraging because it was basically, I won't get into it, but they had um, completely misinterpreted and twisted, distorted, like something that I had said. And it was actually terms that I had used that are like widely used in that are not well, that. decided to misinterpret them and there's always going to be those people. Yeah, and then it was like they sent me this email like saying basically like, saying that my podcast was super, really, they said, really fucking ableist because of this one... This person gets the help they need. And I don't mean that in a, in a mm-hmm. like, patronizing way. I mean, there's something going on there where you see yeah. people trying to express themselves in a healing way as an attack. Um, mm-hmm. And that's sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, concerned, concerned for this person. Yeah, me too. I was like, oh, I hope they find a, like, get into a better place, um, like, that's, that's, like, you realize that wasn't a reflection of you. Yeah, it was, like, they're having, clearly, they've got a lot of stuff going on, and they had this missing, like, they listened to this episode and wildly misinterpreted it, and they're angry because of that and probably other stuff, um, and then I didn't respond. I was like, I almost responded because there was this part of me that got really frustrated because I was like, gosh, you know, I'm like, finally, we're trying to do. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> finally. And that's like, like what I spoke about a little bit earlier, too. Like, I'm, I'm finally feeling comfortable speaking out about my experiences and these things and not worrying, slowly becoming, getting to this place where I'm not worrying about like what people say or think and then I get and that is going well and then it's like I get that I mean it's also probably because it was the first negative message that I got 
And it was like, I mean, because I like this whole podcast, it was like at that point, it was already like 120 episodes. Now this is 122 of um, feeling more uh, of uh, talking about how I'm so frustrated and tired of like being misunderstood. Mm. And then I get misunderstood. So, but and that's know. allowed. Yeah. <laughs> your point. Yeah. Um, Most of that criticism, and you get this. Um, women and women do this to each other as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if this person's actually neurodivergent, then they've also taken in certain messages about how these things are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And if they've tried to live a certain way or to do things in a certain way that maybe a certain kind of ableist or they don't think it is. And they're suddenly told something that resonates with them and it kind of um, puts a crack in that reality they've been forced to live in. Of course they're going to lash out because then they have to acknowledge how unfairly they've been treated. Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a lot of going back to your interviewer's question. That's a lot of grief. <laughs> yeah. So you have like this, when people call them pick me's, which I think mm-hmm. is sad, like women who act in the way that stereotypical kind of white men want them to. Mm-hmm. Or they'll go like, Oh, you're just trying. I always do dinner for my husband. I always do this. Um, they're rudely called pick me's and I feel mm-hmm. sorry for them. Um, because they have had, they're in, in a position where they have to teach themselves to believe that these things are true in order to survive. They're in a, they're in an abusive relationship, even though it might not look like it is. It, it's in some ways abusive. And so they will lash out at anything or anything that actually will try to help them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I see that. Yeah. So it's, and on the one hand, calling them things like pick me's, which I don't think is great, is not mm-hmm. helpful because it further isolates them. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Some people, you just have to, you know, again, it's the act with confusion and with curiosity about these things mm-hmm. rather than resorting to blackmail, um, violence, or just refusing to believe that anything else exists. Because mm-hmm. we've seen how well that goes in the world and what it's brought us to. So, you know, like that obviously worked out well. We should definitely keep doing that. That yeah. was sarcasm for anyone who I was know, interested. I know. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyways, that's, uh, gosh, I, I know this, this episode, I, I could ask more questions and it could go a lot longer, we'll do but more episodes. yeah, we'll do more episodes <laughs> that, that I think it's cause there are some things that I want to talk about that I think would be good to have their own episode for. Yeah. So, um, well, thank you once again for coming on, unless, I don't know if you wanted to add anything also, I always... No, I think yeah. I've added quite a bit. Um, but thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I always love doing yeah, this. And your too. podcast is Same. so wonderful. So thanks. Yeah, I love having you on. So thanks once again for coming on. And um, we'll do another episode in the future. Yeah. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, and I'll see you next time.